The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail Tuesday night. I am Tom. He's Travis. Trav, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, Tino. How you doing, bud? You know, uh, not uh, not the best day. Kind of a uh, tough day here in uh, Cleveland. Uh, we got word late last night that uh, Fred McLeod, the uh, the popular longtime Cavs play by play man for Fox Sports Ohio, passed away. Um, there's really just an outpouring of uh, remembrances and YouTube clips online all day today. Uh, among the very best tributes that uh, I saw was a piece written by uh, Will Gibson uh, for Waiting for Next Year. I, I linked to it up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the nail podcast. Um, we don't see Will's byline on uh, WFNY quite as much as we did back in the day, but when he does check back in, you know it's going to be great. And today was no exception. No exception. Uh, Will joins us now, actually. Will, uh, I've been hoping to get you on here for a while, but, uh, man, I wish there were better circumstances to do it. But uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And, yeah, I feel the same way that, you know, it's obviously, uh, you know, nothing nothing to rejoice over. Um, but in a weird, you know, almost morbid way, I kind of enjoy these sorts of conversations because, um, you know, I was surprised, you know, when I heard the news and then got to writing about it, sort of how much Fred McLeod's passing really affected me, and it seems to have been that way for a lot of other people. Uh, so I'm glad to you know be on with you guys and talk about it. Yeah, it uh, it, it really was just kind of everybody came out of the woodwork. Cavs fans, you know, the diehards, the casuals, and uh, everyone in between. And um, I, I saw the the first call that came to my mind this morning when I read that news on Twitter was the uh, the the call that he had of the end of Game Seven. Of the finals in 2016 and um there was a clip that i think his, his wife beth had posted on youtube and i was thinking oh man it'd be kind of cool it'd be something that people would probably want to check out and i went and dug that up and i tried to think of a you know sentence or two that would be kind of nice about it and by the time i got that posted i think about eight other people in the meantime had already shared it so uh clearly it was that call and then you know throughout the day we're just seeing calls left and right uh classic moments uh with Fred and uh, yeah, he, he did kind of leave uh, uh, quite a, a legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, if I'll, at risk of being too uh, self-referential here, you know, when I got to writing about him, something that first came to my mind was that when he came on as the Cavs play-by-play guy back in 06, um, I know I and a lot of other people, you know, were pretty hesitant and skeptical and unsure of him because Michael Regai, his predecessor, had been fired. A lot of people liked Regai. He was a very fine announcer. But it's just that seems like such ancient history now because over, you know, the past over a dozen years, you know, he was there. Fred was there for the tail end of, you know, LeBron stage one and then some of the absolute dreck in the middle and then LeBron stage two culminating with that championship and that great call that, you know, there's this guy whose whole career is built on, you know, being very professional and crisp and in control. And he's just screaming through tears, you know, like so many of us were. And it was really cool to you know, see that going around and, you know, kind of relive that moment through through his experience as well. 
You know, that was kind of my thing. I, I was in the exact same boat that you were when he first came in. Because, I mean, if you'll remember, that was right around the time that uh, Dan Gilbert bought the Cavs. And I think that was like one of his first big moves exactly. to kind of put his imprint on the franchise. And he brings in this guy from Detroit. And I didn't realize at first that Fred had actually, you know, he was a local guy from here. And he had a, this whole career at Fox 8 or back then, I guess it was a CBS affiliate. But, um, you know, he had done some, uh, I think he did a year of play-by-play for the Cavs and one for the Indians back in, uh, I want to say, like the late 70s. And uh, he his roots were here. Mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah, that, that really came through quickly and, and I will, uh, a hundred percent agree with you that he had to earn it in, in terms of like the, this, you know, current generation of fans, because I was another guy who loved Ray guy and, you know, kind of a, a byproduct of, you know, Ray guy, not doing Cavs games anymore. I got to hear him do a lot of Mac basketball over the last decade or so. <laughs> so that's been kind of fun, but, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, it, it, when you're replacing somebody like that. Um, especially under those circumstances, it, it can be really tough, but, uh, he, uh, he certainly, uh, got it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I, I was, again, you know, just thinking about the sort of outpouring of support and memories and everything today is that, you know, I, I really enjoy kind of hyper regional things and, you know, it was very much kind of a great lakes upper Midwest, you know, thing, just between Cleveland and Detroit and sort of the surrounding areas to see and hear all of the various, you know, people again, coming out of the woodwork, like you said, it was cool to me is that, you know, it was athletes, you know, from LeBron and Kevin Love down to guys like Colin Sexton. It was a lot of um, colleagues and, you know, sort of peers in the media field. Um, one of my favorite things I saw was a guy named, um, I want to look up his Twitter handle for him, uh, Mike Goldfarb, who I believe was the uh, the shacked and a fool was you know he was among the uh, you know, minds who came up with that and he shared a story of you know Fred would go out of his way to text him to let him know like hey man there was a botched alley oop in the game earlier you know I, I even did the shacked and the fool call it's at the four minute mark of the second quarter just because he was that invested in seeing you know just this little segment um, inside the NBA takeoff and he you know went that extra little mile to to help the guy out. And I think that's the stuff people really remember when they try to make it, whether it's a commentator, producer, writer, whatever it is. Yeah. A lot of national media types. I saw a lot of national NBA writers were weighing in and I'm sure, you know, he probably became a very familiar face to a lot of them over the, uh, the playoff runs in, in recent years and a lot of paths crossing there, but it's kind of cool to see them uh, pay respects as well. Um, Trev, you know what you and I, especially when the Cavs were in those playoff runs, um, we kind of talked about uh, national broadcast versus local broadcast. And I'm trying to remember, where did you fall in that spectrum? Were you more of a, a local guy or, or a national guy? Oh, I was all over the place. It, I, it really depended on my mood at the time. And it's one of the things that, uh, Will, you kind of mentioned in your uh, piece today. Like His style was incredibly homerish, right? Him and Austin together both obviously were over the top about it. And there were times where it kind of graded at me, and I think it probably did for everyone, um, especially early on. Um, Obviously, he became more um, ingrained in the team, and you got more used to listening to him and um, realized that, hey, he's not a national guy. He is – he's – part of the team to an extent right he's invested in who wins he's not just telling you 
what's happening on a game, you kind of come around to it a little bit more. Um, so personally, it kind of depended on who the national guy was that was calling it, on which one I would pick. Um, but admittedly, for games that were were more important, the more high-stakes type uh, playoff games that if I had the option, I would usually go for the homerish guy because if you've listened to this, I, that's that's kind of the that's kind of how I am as well. Um, I, I, I kind of got to a point where you know what I could watch the game and I could see what's happening. I wanted to feel like there was a guy sitting there with me, kind of rooting the same way I was. Um, I got sick of the Van Gundys and uh, Mark Jacksons of the world, and um, it, it felt like you were watching a guy. It was as close as you could get to watching it with you know one of your buddies sitting on the couch next to you, um, rooting for the same game that you are. Yeah. And that's, um, I think it was Terry, I've been you know, trying to read everything that people have been writing today, and I believe it was Terry Pluto had a piece um, where he had spoken with, with Austin Carr and also Campy Russell, and, you know, and he relayed a story um, where, you know, Fred and AC, sort of the first time they met and they're talking over their broadcast, Fred just says, you know, picture our fans watching on the couch at home, now picture you and me are sitting right next to them. And that, you know, was the approach he took in that... Yeah, it again. I'm I'm surprised at how much it's affected me. Um, but you know, over years and years, and you've heard dozens and hundreds of games with those two guys, you know, narrating and you know, like you're talking to them. Um, and that is really the the effect that they had, and they really did it masterfully. And Fred is, you know, bears most of that responsibility. I think. Great tidbit from Chris Fedor in the piece that he posted a little while ago. Trev, you mentioned Fred McLeod being kind of homerish with AC. Um, did you know he has a vanity plate on his car? Well, I'll finish the story. <laughs> his, I did his not, vanity obviously. Plate, his vanity plate is Homer. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, how can well, he I just thought that? that was awesome. How can he, he not is, love he, that? He's, he, he's steered right into it. And that's the thing. Like, if you're doing a game nationally, you're doing a different job than if you're doing it locally. You're If you're doing it locally, you know, you're obviously you're telling it for a, an audience that is invested in one team and you are telling it from that team's perspective. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of salesmanship there as well, because it's good for business when people care about the product that, you know, you're involved with and, you know, it was genuine with those guys, Fred and AC both. And, you know, that, that always came through. I'm kind of one of those guys just to kind of go back to the whole local versus national thing. I tended to drift more towards national just because I like a little bit more analytical perspective. And I, I like hearing about the other teams. Although I will say two things. Number one, um, the NBA is in dire need of a good uh, analyst. Uh, color commentator i think we've got some great national play-by-play guys um but um and i think doris burke's really good as far as analysts go but Mm -hmm. in terms of like the lead crews for tnt and espn none of those guys really do it for me so um the other thing i will say is that this past year you know the Cavs obviously had kind of fallen off the national radar and didn't have over half their schedule put on national TV. So, you know, if you want to watch the Cavs, it was pretty much local TV or nothing. And obviously I was watching a lot more games on Fox sports, Ohio than I had in a long time. And, um, I gained a new appreciation for those guys because it was not really a great season. I think the Cavs only won like 19 games, 
but they it was still a fun year and i think the broadcasts uh played a large role in that it, it, you know it, they were they were still enjoying what they were doing. They didn't ever give you the sense like they were just going through the motions and collecting paychecks, which I think is a real credit to their professionalism and just kind of uh, the love they have for um, you know the Cavs in the game. Yeah, and I think that speaks also to um, you know the relationship that Fred and AC you know really seem to have in real life. Obviously, you know I don't know the guys personally. You can only go off what you read and hear. Um, but you know, as I wrote, Austin Carr was one of the first people I thought about when I read the news. Cause you know, those two, you know, they would go golfing together in the summertime. They, AC mentioned in that piece with Terry Pluto, you know, they were going to go play 18 next week. Um, and I think that's probably what got them through, you know, a lot of those you know, January games against the bucks or whatever. Um, you know, when it isn't a playoff atmosphere, it's not something where that really matters, frankly, in the big picture. Um, but they, you know, really enjoyed being with each other. I think that extended to the rest of the crew, whether it was Allie Clifton or, oh God, can somebody help me out with the name of the woman who replaced Allie Clifton? Angel Gray. Angel Gray. Thank you very much. Yep. Yes. And and I really actually enjoyed how they brought her in and made her feel like part of the team right from the jump. Um, and it really is that, again, congenial sort of family atmosphere. And that will go a long way when, you know, the team sucks. And the one thing that's that's kind of funny, and I noticed this, Every time someone passes away, obviously everyone talks about what a great person that guy is, right? Regardless of whether we actually think they were or not. Um, what I found kind of unique about this is everyone is saying that, but every single person seems to have like a story, a specific instance of when he was nice just to them. Um, and so I think it kind of stands out that he wasn't just that guy that like got up in front of a bunch of people and so everybody kind of liked him, and but nobody actually knew him. It seemed like he was one of those guys that w- went out of your way, went out of his way to, you know, socialize and make people feel welcome. And even though, you know, as he became one of the more, uh, more tenured guys around, um, didn't didn't care if you were just some random new guy. He'd welcome you in and talk to you and all that stuff. And obviously, I don't have any experience of it. I never met the guy, but um, I do think it's kind of interesting and kind of says a, a little bit more than you know the normal generic type platitudes we tend to see when when things like this happen. So I think that's, I don't know, I think that's pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and something else I noticed, you know, again, I was just looking up all sorts of clips and everything. And there were a few, it was especially around, you know, in 2016 when the Cavs run the, run the title and they did a few, you know, sort of on location shots where it's Fred out interviewing the fans and that sort of thing. And I'm sure he did a whole lot of those, but it really came through to me on camera that, you know, Fred didn't sort of, he didn't look down on the audience at all. He, you got no sense of, you know, this is a guy who's always lived behind the camera and is sort of above everything or jaded or anything. He, he truly looked comfortable when he was doing a piece in the field. I liked when his voice would kind of drop down a register. He wasn't, you know, the kind of up, you know, doing the big call in front of 20,000 people, just kind of, this is me, Fred talking to, you know, whoever it is, Dylan Windler in a, in a <laughs> closet someplace. And it has <laughs> sort of, you know, extended that little bit of intimacy that again, personality where, you know, again, we don't know the guy, but we feel like he did. Um, you know, he felt like he could have been, you know, your friend's dad or your uncle or just the nice guy who like r- runs the great laundromat in town or something. He had that very homely warmth about him. Um, and yeah, that's that's exactly what you need in that sort of role. 
it's way too soon to speculate about this, and I probably shouldn't even bring this up. But you know, you mentioned AC, and I just kind of wonder. You know, he's a pros pro, and he's a Cavs lifer, so I, I would assume he'll probably stick around. But like, if he wanted to just ride off into the sunset, I would not blame him in the slightest. Um, and I'm just really curious to know. Because I mean, whether he's there or not, it's it's going to be it's going to be weird this year, especially those first few games sure. when when you start hearing a new voice. And I, I'm just I'm wondering if he decides to you know welcome somebody else in to to start working with, or if he said maybe this is the the time for me to you know go play more golf. I don't know. It's a great question, man. I'm looking it up. He's he's 71 years old. Um, you know, he's he's been with the Cavs in some form you know, basically for what, 50 years at this point, sure. almost. Um, wow. Yeah. And that, that, this is the stuff that I've, I've barely begun to think about, but it's a very pertinent question. Cause I have no idea who's going to be calling play by play. And yeah, if will AC want to stick around and sort of bridge the gap or I could absolutely see him, like you said, just enjoy retirement at this point. Mm, we'll Oof. see. Jeez. <laughs> Well, it was uh, it was a lot of fun listening to those guys, and uh, we've got a lot of great memories over the years, and just uh, all the uh, the tributes that we saw coming out today uh, with with some of Fred's classic calls and his catchphrases, and um, I can't remember somebody had a just an entire string of tweets that they had had from through the years of just crazy things that Fred McLeod <laughs> had said during games, and um, some of them were just awesome. Um, but uh, it, uh, yeah, he's gonna be missed. It, it, he was he was great at his job, and uh, you know, I think as a as a city and as a sports market, I, I think we're pretty fortunate with the lineup of announcers that we have. I mean, you just look across all the sports, whether it's Jim Donovan doing radio for the Browns or uh, you know Tom Hamilton with the Indians. Um, you know, I even think uh, John Michael with the Cavs on the radio. Uh, you know, he had a really tough job filling yeah. in, you know, following Joe Tate. And I, I think he's done a fine job and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good lineup in town. And, and Fred was right there with the rest of them with just the uh, authenticity, I think, and the, in the enthusiasm and the passion that he had for Cavs basketball. And, and he made it a fun game to follow. Yeah. Perfectly said. Um, I agree that, yeah, between all the guys, and 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 girls women um we've got a great lineup of commentators and yeah fred absolutely got himself right in there he's the he was the perfect blend of you know kind of professional and polished but also corny and local in a way that i think really suited cleveland and the Cavs. um and you know commentators again you spend so much of your time uh, just think of the man hours you've spent listening to him on a telecast and, you know, letting them into your life in some way. Um, and it'd be easy to not want to do that, but he, along with, you know, your Tom Hamilton's and, and all the rest make it not just something you're willing to do, but a real pleasure. And, um, yeah, his shoes will be big and difficult to fill. All right, so I have to ask you, you are located in Philadelphia now, but uh, you, you grew up in Cleveland, right? Yeah, in, in the Burbs, but yes. Okay, so you, you were, you're in Philadelphia now, and you said before we started recording, I, um, you had spent some, some time overseas as well, right? 
Correct. Yeah. Basically, my first job out of college was teaching English as a second language in South Korea. Um, and I was over there yeah, over three years total. Um, but, you know, I tried to tried to keep up with all the Cleveland sports happenings as best I could. Yeah. So I, I was kind of curious, like, how were you able to keep up with things and stay engaged with the teams here? Um, you know, I, I'm still in Cleveland. Trev's down in Columbus. And, you know, he can still get the games on down there. But you know, these places that you've been living, it's not like there's you know a lot of uh, uh, Cleveland sports coverage uh, locally being delivered to you there. Um, are, are you kind of a, a league pass guy? Or are you uh, relying on a lot of uh, uh, written coverage online and highlights or, or how do you how do you stay plugged in? Um, I would certainly I'll just say from the top, I would certainly never endorse turning to extra legal means is uh, <laughs> to find live uh, sporting events but if you know i were that sort of person i think that would suit me well um especially for football season because although the browns thankfully have a lot of uh, you know big national games not so thankful after last week um mm-hmm. also i've been very fortunate um to have my dad's cable login you know he's still in cleveland and he's got you know the local package so i'm able to use his info to get on say the fox sports app so that's covers pretty much all the Indians and Cavs games. Um, but yeah, then you do kind of miss though, just that, that sense when you're, when you're, uh, you know, walking around the city or, you know, at the water cooler at work or whatever, I do kind of miss out on that level of it. You know, I do try to you know read, you know, various blogs and, and tweets and listen to podcasts and all that. Um, but it isn't quite the same. A lot of what I enjoy is really the feel of it. And that part is hard to replicate. Trev, did you want to jump in? Yeah, so I guess if... I don't know. I'm sidetracked now. You threw me off there, Tino. <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of interesting because I honestly... I see that a little bit, even from Columbus. Um, it's very different atmosphere around here during football season on a Sunday. Um, I don't know. I've, I've always looked and I've seen like the ratings... And the Browns still seem to carry the town. But if you go out and about, you still see a very a very big mix. Um, you'll see a lot of Bengals, a lot of Steelers, and then a lot of other just random stuff thrown in. Um, I think ultimately, obviously, it's an Ohio State town above everything else. But um, it's funny you mentioned that um, trying to live or sort of trying to enjoy that Cleveland experience from afar. Um because I'm not really that far, and I still find myself trying to do it. Um, case in point, the, sitting on a uh, Greyhound for three hours on Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> Time well spent, my ooh, man. Let Good me man. tell you what, not not great, not great. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, yeah, the Greyhound was the best part of the day. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I I experience it too, and I'm not even that far away. Um, I think football season specifically, and I know we're kind of switching gears here but um football season specifically in cleveland is a little bit unique i think in that the city does really kind of shut down and revolve around that and and i've never really and because i'm in a different city i think i notice it more now um and it's weird i think being so close cleveland and columbus are so close to one another but they're incredibly different just in overall environment um and how they you know how they take in their sports and i think me having lived in both and experienced both, it's 
it's one of the things I miss most about Cleveland probably is is they they live and die a little bit more um, especially considering that they've had a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of not great stuff to, to follow over the years while Ohio State's been pretty pretty damn reliable over the last I don't know 20 years or so <laughs> century yeah no kidding <laughs> right They're, they have down year they have a down year and that's usually it um, mm-hmm. So I think from that respect, it's just it's a very different feeling, and I, I'm with you. I think I try and do whatever I can to, you know, find that atmosphere, even if I kind of have to manufacture and it's a little bit fake. But mm-hmm. well, all right. So since Trav, you you brought up uh, jumping on the Greyhound, let's go ahead and uh, roll right into our Browns discussion as well. Um, well, what did you make of uh, what we saw on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no uh waiting into it i'm just cannonballing right in man no let's band-aid off and let's get into it <laughs> i mean so on so i've uh, a phenomenon that i'm noticing more and more and this is a little bit away from football is that just the length of one calendar year is really perfect because it's long enough that you know by the time you reach the next year you've kind of forgotten about everything you know, it's like every time daylight savings happens, you're like, oh, God, yeah, that. Or just like, you know, Christmas, whatever it is. Anyway, so as it applies to week one of the NFL season, every year we know that, you know, something weird happens in the first few weeks. Every year we know that we're going to wildly overreact to it. Every year we tell ourselves, you know, this is stupid. We should just kind of get a hold of ourselves and wait a few weeks to see how it goes. Obviously, you know, we're people and we've been waiting for football, so that's not going to happen. Um but I mean, it, it makes sense in a way, you know, I mean, it, it was it was a total anomaly in that they had, you know, 3000 penalty yards that Greg Robinson kicked a guy and got ejected that his backup got injured, all this stuff. Um, but, you know, I feel like there have been so many teams where, you know, I think that the Eagles dream team a few years back when they had, I forget, you know, it was Michael Vick, Vince Young, all these guys. It, you know, it never quite works the first time. I don't know if it's just football karma or what. Um, I remain pretty bullish on the season. I think they'll be fine. I'm. I actually just found out I'll be at Monday Night Football next week, so I'm very much looking forward to that. They better do better. Um, but you know, it sucked. It sucked, of course, especially since it was the home opener, and by all accounts, the city was so alive and so on fire, and I was, you know, all everything was so thrilling about it. Um, that, you know, it's a letdown. And what, but what I've seen a lot of people say, and which I think is right, is, you know, they got it out of the way. Hopefully, you know, we're kind of recentered. We're, everyone remembers that, you know, they still haven't had a winning season since forever. Um, so, you know, disappointed, but not, not, the sky is not falling yet. Hilarious. I got to tell you, it, go ahead, Trent. Really ahead. quick, I just want to make a hilarious observation. At one point, Vince Young not only thought that there was a dream team, but that he was on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Vince. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. Anyways, um, go ahead, Tino. Sorry. It was just one of those things pops in my head. It's like, yeah, they really thought that was the thing. And it was, uh, it was not the thing. Not the thing. He, he had a fantastic national championship game against USC. And, yes, he did. Uh, probably should have stopped there. But uh, nevertheless, um, you know, just talking about the Browns, I think for me, I was disappointed as everybody was, I think on Sunday. I mean, that's, that's no surprise. I wasn't entirely shocked. I was surprised to watch how they 
kind of controlled things through the first drive and just, you know, basically mowed right down the field. And then everything just kind of seemed to turn on the line of scrimmage after that. And that mm-hmm. was something that Tony Romo noted, I think, coming out of halftime, how that, how rare that is to see like one team go from being dominant up front to having a complete role reversal. Um, but, you know, I mean, we've seen dumpster fires in week one with the Browns more years than I can count. So, you know, at the end of the day, that is what it is. And, you know, with all the hype and, and buzz and everything else around the team, it didn't really shock me. Uh, that there were plenty of uh, talking head types coming out of the woodwork to, uh, you know, with, with their receipts ready to, you know, say, I told you so. And, and, oh, look at the Browns and, you know, kind of pile on. And, and that, that even in and of itself didn't totally surprise me or bother me. But um, where I think I did get a little irked is I felt like some of it almost got turned towards like the fans were like, how stupid are you for like buying into this? And it's like, you know what? We, we have a team here that um, for once I feel like has some legit guys, some real players. And, you know, what, what's wrong with having a little bit of hope? Um, I'm not going to feel bad about being optimistic about things coming into the season. And for that matter, I'm not going to be, uh, feeling bad about being optimistic on week two. I, you know, I, I think like you said, well, it was kind of a weird set of circumstances between the penalties and the injuries. And, you know, you see like, oh yeah, the Browns were one to 10 on third down or whatever. Well, when you're facing third and 25 every time, because, you know, you're getting personal fouls killing every drive. I mean, you know, shit like that's going to happen. So it's just a weird game. And I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Trev, um, you were you were down there for the tailgate, and um, how did the rest of your day go after that? Um, so not great. Uh, um, the football portion, not great. Um, so yeah, I got up around four o'clock and in the morning on Sunday, and took myself over to the Greyhound station. Spent about two and a half hours on the bus. Got dropped off. Walked myself over to the Muni lot, and I will say it was. Um, it was kind of jarring how many people were already out that early in the morning um, and not particularly like close to the Muni lot. This was, for those that aren't aware, the Greyhound station is about a mile from the Muni lot. So it wasn't super close and I was surprised still how many people were around. And sure enough, when we when I got off the bus, there's this lot like right across from it dead empty except for one like RV in there and like three guys just sitting in folding chairs doing god knows what like I, I how the hell they ended up here i have no idea and they settled on this is going to be the place and god bless them because they seem like they were having the time of their lives um but yeah so i walked myself over for a little bit and i kind of was operating under the impression that you know if uh if and truthfully over the last several years the strategy if i've ever wanted to go to a game has been go to the muni lot someone's gonna get too drunk and a spare ticket's gonna show up um predictably that would have been a bit of a long shot this week, right? People were a little more dedicated to getting in there. And sure enough, people filed in relatively early. Um, so I just walked over to uh, the Winking Lizard there, watched uh, the first half of the game, um, realized I had probably overindulged slightly. And it would probably be best if I didn't wait until 7 o'clock to, uh, to take a bus back to Columbus. They had one that was leaving like 45 minutes later. So I said, you know what? I'll see if I can get on that early one. 
and did just that. Missed. I didn't see the second half. I went back and watched it later. Um, I kind of followed statistically what was going on on my phone as I was riding back, and yeah, that was that was my Sunday. Um, pretty exhausting. I don't know how many times I'm going to be able to manage that this year, but uh, uh, it was uh, overall I would I would consider it a success. <laughs> No, that, ladies and gentlemen, your 2019 Cleveland Browns so far, you know? Yeah, that's it, pretty much. That's it, pretty much. I missed the the uh, the bad part of the game. Um, yeah. And this was the this was the second time I had tried this whole um, Greyhound idea. Uh, last year, I only rode it up. My wife met me in Cleveland. We were doing some things around here. Um, so it worked well in that scenario. And this time, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to ride it back, too. Um there's no chance in hell I'm going to be able to do the uh, wake up at four, um, take the seven o'clock p.m. one back and get home at ten. Um, I see no way that I can manage that. It seems untenable for the rest of the season. Um, so I'll have to uh, probably re uh, rework that plan. But overall, the football I did watch was okay. Uh, they had the one good drive, obviously, and. Um, I missed the, the sloppy mess of a second half and doesn't sound like, uh, in, uh, in real time, like I missed a whole hell of a lot. So it was amazing to me how quickly things unraveled in late third quarter, early fourth. I mean, it was, I guess the writing was on the wall because if you watch the first two and a half quarters of that game, it was kind of like, how are we still in this with 150 penalty yards and, um, you know, the, the offensive line situation being what it was and, you know, maybe uh, reality kind of caught up uh, towards the end there. But um, yeah, I mean, for as ugly as things were, it was a two point game late third quarter with the Browns kicking off. And then, you know, you get that screen pass and all hell broke loose after that. Um, Will, were you, uh, did they have the game on um, in Philadelphia there, or did you uh, have to go to a, a local establishment, or, or how were you able to keep up with things? Um, so I, I debated strongly whether or not to go to a local establishment. There is a pretty good Browns Bar in Philly. Uh, folks, if you're ever in town, Rogues Gallery. It's around, was it 22nd and Market Streets or so? Um, solid little bar, and, you know, I've been, you know, over the past few years when the Browns sucked and they would always have a good turnout. So I imagine it was a madhouse. Um, but I'm sometimes I'm kind of selective about whether or not I want to watch sports with people. Um, and with this game, I'm glad I wound up not doing that just because, you know, when the crowd turns, it can be an ugly thing. Um, so but oddly, I, I actually am not sure if that was carried on the local affiliates. I uh, it's not important how I watch the game, but I found a way. Um, but something that, you know, for as crappy as the game was something that as I'm thinking about it, I'm still really holding on to and enjoying was just, you know, that first 10 minutes or so when they open the broadcast, you know, it's, they've got the number one broadcast team. They've got all kind of the pregame packages and trappings there. It's just kind of funny to me that over the past few years, you know, kind of the, the networks are forced to reckon with the fact that, you know the Browns might be good and people might be interested in them. And, you know, so we need to get Tony Romo on the call. Um, you know, again, obviously it all went to hell. You know, I'm looking at the box score right now, 43-13. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, it's going to be like that again next week on Monday night and several other times going forward. And that's that's almost the take home for me. that This is still just really exciting stuff. Like the Browns matter. 
Like I, I know that it's easy to be disappointed, but I think it, we can't undersell that fact. Oh yeah. Well, I'll put it to you this way. That was the first time that Jim Nance and the CBS a crew have done a game in Cleveland since 2010. That, that's how long it's been. They, they, now they did the last game last year in Baltimore and they've sure. done some Thursday night games. Um, you know, when all the teams have their mandatory Thursday night game during the season or whatever, but those are all, uh, on the road that, uh, that CBS has done those and CBS has the AFC package. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's how long it's been. And, you know, this coming Monday, that'll be the Browns first Monday night game since 2015. And I'm pretty sure that was the game against the Ravens with the block field goal walk off, you know, don't even need to get into all that again, but I was uh, there. Oh God. Oh no. I was sitting at the end zone that the Ravens returned the touchdown to. And I just cackled laughing. It was, Oh God, I left the Browns. Oh, my dad and I did too. Like we, he came over and we were watching it in my basement and we weren't even upset. It was, it was hilarious. I'm like, yep, that's perfect. That's, that is just goddamn perfect. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we get to, so you're, you're going on Monday night to MetLife. Yeah. Uh, so just within the past hour or so, I got a text from my cousin who lives in New York. He said, he's got a ticket with my name on it. Um, that's about all I know. I've got, I don't know how I'm getting there, how I'm getting back any of the above, you know, I might, uh, get some of the Greyhound info. Yeah, off I was going to say, you should, you should check on Greyhound. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's greyhounds.com. With an E, with an E. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, I think, will be pretty outrageous. I've never been to a game in New York, and frankly, I'm a little afraid to go to a game in Philly. Um, I think the the reputation is largely earned. Um, I mean, I don't know if you saw the story. People were fighting the Philadelphia 76 or forward Mike Scott because he was there in a Washington uniform in the in their parking lot. Um, that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, Philly, it's uh, it's a tough town. That's that's not good. Yeah. Well, hopefully your experience in uh, the Meadowlands goes a little bit better than that. Um, yeah, and hopefully you get a better performance from the Browns. I guess there's only one way to go from this past week. My God. All right. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, that's the thing, man. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. This past Sunday was terrible, and, and we all acknowledge that. But I, I think the Browns are already favored for Monday, and – uh, you know, come out with a good performance there in week one. It looks like an aberration, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah, and last time they played the Jets on Monday night, you know, that was Baker's debut, the real coming out party, and that's a, a YouTube clip I like to go back to because it's just, again, that electricity and excitement in the air. And uh, Why did I think see, that was a Thursday? Oh, that, was a, that, yeah, was, that was a Thursday. Thursday. Okay, but yeah. still, prime so weekday primetime game, Monday, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and you know if they they weren't it. putting those two teams on Monday night. Come on, <laughs> I'm not sure they'd have done it this year for Monday night if it wasn't the 50th anniversary of Monday yeah. Night Football and the Browns and Jets being the first ever Monday night game. I I think that was probably a huge reason why this game got the nod in this slot. But here we are. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think there's absolutely no way they play as bad as they did this past week. And if they do, then, you know, we were going down the roller coaster all over again. God help us all. <laughs> it's a sickness. <laughs> well, I uh, appreciate you joining us on short notice here. It, uh, this is not one that we were planning on doing, but um, 
Yeah, this was this was good, and uh, it was good talking with you. And uh, loved your story today on WaitingForNextYear dot com. And I uh, hope everybody checks that out. And uh, hope you're ripe uh, for the site again soon. I always like uh, when when you put stuff up. It's always good. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, you know, happy to come on here. Yeah, I confess I'm not uh, I'm not a weekly sub- uh, listener, but I've subscribed and given a five star review as all the listeners should. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping that um, you know the Browns will will move me to get on the keyboard again, um, as Fred did today. Again, you know it's it's sad circumstances that brought us into this conversation, but I'm glad that we were able to take some time, you know, and talk about what he's meant, um, you know, to us and Cavs fans and the city of Cleveland. And it's been really you know, heartening to see that so many other people felt the same way. Um, so, you know, all the best, obviously, to his friends and family who I know are listeners. And uh, <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> uh, a little brevity never hurt anyone. Not at all. Oh, good stuff. All right. As for us, we are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher and the TuneIn app. You can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com as well. Our thanks again to Will Gibson for joining us. For Travis Hewley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 